Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Exodus chapter 3 verse 16. This picks up just when Moses has been called by God. If you know Moses, he's been called by God through the burning bush. And God is calling Moses to go and help set free the Israelites from their captivity and their slavery in Egypt. And just after God speaks powerfully through a burning bush, yes, he does speak in miraculous ways through donkeys, through burning bushes. I'm not sure you're going to see any of this at the prophetic conference, but he does. And he calls Moses to go and do something for him. And we pick it up in verse 16. He says this. This is the instruction. Go to Moses, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and I've seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I got that. A land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and to say this to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us make, take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know, says God, listen to this, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you which will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Now I want you to turn with me, just skip along to Exodus chapter 5. Pick it up in verse 6. Exodus chapter 5 verse 6. Now this picks up just after Moses has done this instruction from the Lord. He's struggled with God about doing this, but he goes with Aaron and he goes to speak to the king of Egypt to give this instruction to say, let my people go. Let them go from slavery. I want them to go for three days into the wilderness to, to offer the sacrifice to God. And this is what Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he, he responds, he says, that same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. Moses returned to the Lord and said this, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses this, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. I want to talk to you this morning about this story. There's a lot to read and I've skipped along, but this is about if you didn't know the story of Moses being called by God to go and deliver the Israelites from the grip of slavery in Egypt. 
to, to make um, sense of what we've just read, when Moses rocks up and he goes to visit uh, Pharaoh and he asks this simple thing that God has given him instruction to do, when he does that, it seems like things get even worse. How many of you know when you sometimes you pray to God or you have intervention from God, sometimes things get even worse? You know what it is. Sometimes we think that our prayers, once we've said the prayer, or we've asked God to help us, that actually everything will immediately work better. Sometimes we get shocked when we ask God to help us. We get the instructions and we feel God telling us to do something, and we follow his instructions, and then lo and behold, things get even worse. How many of you know what that feels like? Well, Moses goes and he asks this thing. He says, please let them go into uh, the desert for three days. I want, to, I want you to set these people free. He kind of lays it down a, a simple demand at first to let them go just for these three days to worship God. But you'll notice this, that, that Pharaoh's response immediately, he says this, he gets so angry that he starts to build up and add more work to the people that are in slavery. So now he says this, we see that they're building bricks made of straw. And the first thing that Pharaoh says is, I want you to take all the straw from them. And the straw enabled them to build strong bricks. I want you to take the straw from them and I want them to go and get their own straw. So in other words, they're trying to build, they have a quota, a quota of bricks to, to make in one day. But I want you to make it harder because I don't want you to get, take the vital, one of the vital ingredients out and make it harder for them to produce it so that they've actually got to go and get the straw first before they even build. How, how much you imagine how the Israelites felt when all of a sudden an apparent savior comes along like Moses to try and help them to free them and then all of a sudden things get ten times worse. No wonder they got angry. I'd get angry. I'd be saying, why are you intervening? Why are you doing this? Because now we've got to produce these bricks. In fact, what Pharaoh put upon them was in fact, in a sense, an impossibility. How many of you know sometimes it's like that and you even go into work sometimes, you've been praying in your own jobs, difficulties with different people. Monday morning, you know it's like you get into work and you meet, it feels like you've got Pharaoh. You know, it feels like Pharaoh's there. And it feels like sometimes that you are, you've been praying all weekend. You've had such a good time in church and you get, you get there Monday morning and re- really it feels like they've just asked you to get your own straw. And you've still got to do so much in, in a short space of time. How many know what it feels like? And the pressure's on and you think, God, where are you? You're supposed to be my helper. You're supposed to be the one who's with me. And it seemed and appeared that What Moses did backfired. But I want to talk to you today because I I believe many of us, if not everyone in this room, suffers with the problem of getting to the, what I call, desperate measures. A place where you feel that you've hit your limit. There is a peak to where you can get and then you crash. You think, I can't trust God anymore because this is just, you, every one of us have got this level. And we keep going and we say, well, I can see things are not getting much better, but I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep trusting God. And many of us have got this in our minds, this, this level. Sometimes we shift it. We get so far and say, okay, God, I'm going to go a bit further. But eventually there is a point when some of us, the enemy rocks our world so much that we feel like giving up. That we feel like there is no point following God because his promises tell me that he is for me and not against me. But this does not feel that way at all. And we feel like giving up. I call that desperate measures. How many of you know when you reach that level of desperation? That time when you know that you're hitting your peak. Many of us in this room have got different levels. We've got different gauges of where we can get to. Some of us look at others and we say, how on earth are they coping and how on earth are they doing this as Christians? I don't understand it. They seem to have a different threshold. And then we get beaten up in ourselves because we feel like our threshold is just not high enough. 
I don't know where you're at today, whatever situation you might be in, if you're in a place where you feel you're in captivity, you may be in a job today, you may be in a situation, you may be in difficulty, you may be in a place where you feel like you're a slave to fear, you may be in a place where you feel like that you're gripped and you cannot get out of where you are in this position and you've cried to God and you have no answer, you sought this person, you sought that person but you get no answer. And things only get worse. Many years ago there was a song when I was a young young lad called Things Can Only Get Better. Things can only get better. They don't, do they sometimes? Sometimes things don't just get better, they get worse. Listen, it's good to admit these things, isn't it? So many people out there, Christians, they make it out like life is just on dory That you serve Jesus and everything's perfect. Things always get better. No, in fact, actually, it's difficult. It's a challenge. And some of us have these gauges. And you know, God is looking at our hearts. He's looking at where we are going with these limits. He's looking what happens in our hearts. Let me tell you, there is a reason for this. I want us to look at this story and try and just get out of this what I think God would like to help us with in our situations. We might not all be making bricks for Pharaoh, but I believe that many of us can relate to this story. Number one today, God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned you. God reminds Moses of the promises that have been given. Many of you know, if you read the Bible, you'll know that the promises came to Abraham way before, and and Abraham gets the promise of the, the descendants that will come from him, that a land will come, that he will gain this. And through time, we see this promise has never failed. God's promises never fail. They're always yes and amen. And right from the very beginning, there's been a promise. And in Exodus chapter 3 verse 17, we read that he says, I promise to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt to a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. We say that many times, but a land flowing where there's there's blessing. There's a land flowing where there's something greater. There's a land flowing. It's not oppression. It's something where you're free from oppression. And this promise, Exodus 3, God speaks to Moses and says, tell them, you know, I've promised this. I've promised that they can have this. And the people of God were so burdened that they forget these promises. How many of you know we so easily forget these promises that are in the Bible? We dismiss sometimes, we don't look at the Bible, we're waiting for the prophet to tell us what to do and how to be. But actually... The truth is in his word. The people knew God's promises. It was written, pre-written. But they were in slavery. They were being beaten, it says, as they made these bricks. They weren't just being told, you know, if, if you're making, if you're doing work, you just get called into the office. You get probably four or five warnings. It's probably gone up now. Ten warnings before you lose your job. They were being beaten. Pressured, it said, to do this. How do you think they felt when they were being beaten and pressured and they begin and every single time that, that this, they would hit them and they would wound them, I'm sure that every single time it felt like the promises were getting weaker and weaker and weaker. How much have you took in your life that you've reached, that you've took from people or situations where it feels like every time you're beaten down, another promise has been ripped away from you? Let me remind you that as however bad things get, however difficult things are, however oppressive it is, God's promises are still the same. His word remains the same. It never changes. It stays the same. We feel so far sometimes from God's plans. Many of us, we got the magnet. I always say the Jeremiah 29, 11 stuck on the fridge. For, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We love that. But as soon as things go wrong, we take it from the fridge probably. You know, that one's not going up. I'll put, my, I'll put the picture of my aunt up there instead. And we forget these promises. 
Because life, things around us are, get so oppressive, get so difficult, challenges of life get so hard that we lose view of his promise. We lose direction of where God is in our lives. I believe God, if you allow him to come and live by his spirit inside of you, he is like I call it a spiritual satnav. He will give you direction. The Bible says that he will order your steps. He will determine where a person will live, it says. If he can determine where a a person can live, he can take down rulers and authorities. He has the ability to order every single step you take, if you allow him. Some people don't want to allow him. No wonder they get themselves in a mess. God, our creator, wants to be our spiritual satnav. He wants to take you through this journey in life, despite the difficulties. How many of you know when your satnav's on, most of the time when it rains, snows, it still works. It still tells you where to go. I was watching a program just the other night. I, was, I like to watch documentaries. I don't know about you. Emma doesn't. She comes in. She's like, what is this you're watching? And I men, have you noticed this? The women seem to have a real charge of the remote control. They're doing our house anyway. It's either CBBC with the kids. I, I really, and, and, and I don't know about you guys, but I tend to flick a lot through and I'm checking lots of different things that I like to watch. And I never really watch a program. I just flick through. And Emma's like, why are you, just, just watch one thing. But I, I was watching a documentary the other night about a, an airplane that had had a disaster back in 2009. It was the Air France, I think it was the 44-7 aircraft. The Air France, which was traveling from Rio de Janeiro to Paris. In 2009, and it was crossing over the sea, and right in the middle of this, there were three pilots on board that day, on the, on the, is it on board on the ship or, on the boat, sorry, on the plane, not on board, and they were in the cockpit, but one of them, which was the chief guy, the captain, he was asleep in the back, he'd been out, it says, with his, his wife the night before, and he was tired and let these two inexperienced pilots fly while he was sleeping. About a minute, I think, just over a minute before things got terrible and they went into a tropical storm, this captain walks into the cockpit and tries to help them, to rescue them, to get them out of this situation. And you can hear on the black, black box recordings, the recorder that records all of what was happening at that moment, all these voices talking to each other. And there were three, in effect, experienced. One who was very experienced, who'd been asleep most of the journey, was there trying to detect what was wrong. Because in front of them on this great technology of dials and different things telling them this all the speed and the altitude and everything they needed to know to fly this plane. Everything was going haywire. And they didn't understand what was wrong. And you can listen to the voices saying, uh, I don't understand, I'm doing this, but nothing's happening. I'm doing this and I, it doesn't, we have lost total control of this plane. At this time, the people I don't think really understood who were in the, in the seats in the back. But they'd lost complete control. And you can hear these voices, especially the captain who's supposed to know how to get this plane flying and to land it. But even he does not understand. And I don't know if you know this story, but there was one thing down to, partly to human error in one sense. But actually the very reason why this thing occurred is because right below the plane there was a little, if not two, little tubes. And they call them pitot, pitot tubes. And these tubes will detect, and they only cost just a few pounds. They would detect the speed of moisture hitting it. So they would know how fast the plane's going. Just out of, out of this aircraft that costs, I don't know, millions, if not billions, whatever they cost these days, Just a few pounds below was this little tube that detects the speed of the aircraft. And it says that as they went to this storm that these tubes covered in ice and broke. 
all of a sudden, the dials didn't know the speed. Then things started to get worse and each dial just gave up. Till in the end, they had not one instrument to tell them any guidance to what was happening. Apparently, what you're supposed to do is, if you're in a situation like this, that you're supposed to put the nose of the aircraft down. And in their situation, they had no clue what was happening on the outside. So they did the opposite and put the aircraft in the upright position. Minutes later, this aircraft plummeted to the sea. And over 230 people were killed. Why am I saying this? What's the point in this story? The reason I tell you this is because when I saw that and I listened to what they were saying, I thought this is the same for us. That sometimes we are going through life, we're in the cockpit, in the driving seat, and sometimes things get so difficult for us, things get so challenging for us, that the dials seem to be all over the place, and we have no idea. Some of us, some of us, some of us have been sleeping through the storm. Some of us have not been paying any attention. And some of us are going through these storms and difficulties in life, and we find ourselves that the dials are flying all over the place, and we have lost control. And despite all of the intelligence that you have, Despite all man's intelligence, despite all your friend's advice and guidance, you cannot get yourself out. And you find yourself in a position where you're locked. Three people experienced could not get out of this. And all it was is just a few pounds and they didn't understand what was going wrong. How many of you today, you're looking at the dials in your life, you're concentrating on the difficulties and you've dismissed the smallest thing, what you think is the smallest thing in your life, but it's the very thing that will save you and that is Jesus Christ. Some of us dismiss, we look at Jesus like he's an afterthought, like he's just insignificant, he is not the big part. Let me tell you, it might have only cost a few pounds on that plane, but it was enough to take a a, a plane of that cost down and plummet it to the earth. But they dismissed the very smallest thing. And let me tell you, Jesus Christ is not the smallest thing in your life, he's the only thing. He is the thing that will sustain you. He is the thing that will give you life, and life abundantly. And many of us don't understand this. And we go through life and we're asking our mates in the cockpit saying, do you know what's wrong? Do you know why it's like this? Why is things difficult? And even the captain has no answer. And you're thinking, what's going on? But Jesus says, don't dismiss me today. It might seem small to you that to serve and follow me, but I'm telling you today, it is vital. Vital to who you are and your existence. In this life, no, no human experience could help in that situation. It was sad that this happened. But just if they'd have known what was going on on the outside, if they'd have understood if the dials could have told them what's going on, if they understood that literally it was just one move to take the nose of the aircraft the opposite direction, but they had lost all sense of what was going on. Many people I meet today in the world today have lost their sense of direction. They've lost the real reason for living. They have lost the real reason. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. When you put his his perspective, when you look to Jesus, when you don't treat him like a little pitot tube underneath that he's insignificant, when you realize that he is your true guidance in life and he will take you through this dif- all the difficulties, however challenging it gets, when you realize this, you will come into true relationship with Jesus. Hallelujah. Psalm 40 Verse 4, David, King David wrote this. He said, blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. That's in the King James Version. In the new, in the uh, NIV, it's turn to false gods. In other words, turn to something that's false. Blessed is the man that trusts in God. Blessed is that man. Jesus today is our only refuge. 
He's our only refuge. He's the one who not only will help you through these situations, he has not abandoned you. Don't think that when the dials are going crazy that he's abandoned you. Let me tell you today that he is for you and not against you. He is with you all the time. Despite the dials, whatever they say, he is with you. And what we have to learn as Christians is this. I'm learning it every single day. I don't pay too much attention to the dials. I pay attention to the one who created me. Because if he can breathe life into me, I'm going to serve him. I'm not going to look and let the enemy distract me by looking at what's rocking my world. But I encourage you today to listen to Jesus' voice today that says, I am the one who can help you. I am the one. In in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus came, he said, he issued his objective on this earth. In that synagogue that morning, he said, today these words have come to pass. He was referring to Old Testament in Isaiah, referred to his objective on this earth. Jesus knew that he had to trust, the word of God was important. What was written, it says this, Luke 4 verse 18. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. He has an objective to help you and me today. It never changes. Number two today, God's power is sufficient. God's power is sufficient. Exodus chapter 3 verse 20 God said to Moses, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. Then listen, he says this, after that, he will let you go. After that, he will let you go. Listen to this. The Israelites may have forgotten through their oppression that there was freedom coming. They may have forgotten, but let me tell you one thing who did forget. Moses. Moses forgot what God had said. Because Moses goes to the Pharaoh. He goes to ask them to set them free. And he doesn't. And he makes life harder for them. But then it says this. It gets, Moses gets angry with God. He's, he's getting angry because he's saying, why are you not letting these people go? You said you would. And I've just done what you've, you've said. Why have you asked me to do this? And they're not free. And, Mo- and Moses forgot one of the lines. How many of you sometimes, we, we skip over, I'm very good at this, I, I read things really fast, I pick up the key words in, in paragraphs, so I miss half of the stuff out. Emma knows that. She said, have you actually read this thing? I, I just skim across, I try to scan read. And Moses, I believe he did a bit of a scan read, or he forgot some of the things God had said. So he goes and does what God had said, and it doesn't happen, so he gets angry with God. He gives up on God himself and he's the one who's supposed to be helping them. But then, as we've just read, he said, I will stretch out my hand, said God, and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform. After that, he will let you go. In other words, it will be my hand and my power that bring their deliverance. It won't be your words. It won't be your articulate words, Moses. Listen, get the second part. Stop thinking about yourself. It's not going to be you who does this. When you say it, that's setting the tone and the foundation for what I'm about to do. But secondly, remember the most important part. It is by my mighty hand, the power in me that will change Pharaoh's mind, not your words. You're just going to go and set the foundation. I'm going to come in and finish the job. Many of us sometimes we get full of pride thinking that it's our words and that what God's going to do through us. We forget about that God is the one who is sustaining us. He's the one who will give the power to set people free. Listen, when I go out and talk to people about Jesus, I have no power at all to set any man or woman free. It's only Jesus Christ. All he asks us to do is say the words. He says, I'll back up with signs and wonders. A demonstration of my power for a reality of who I am. After that, he will let you go. How many of us today, we forget what God has said. 
we've missed some of the vital things that he said over our lives. We forget it. Man's actions and words won't save you. But God has the power to deliver. It's his power. He says this, that when Moses, he, he, he receives this power and he says, how am I gonna, how am I gonna do this? Lord, how am I gonna go and do this job for you? And he says, you're gonna throw your staff on the ground, and see what happens, son. He turns to a snake. How many of you know that when he went, some of the magicians tried to replicate the power? I've been on, I've been out there today in the streets and I've had people turn to me and say, some of these things I know that people can achieve this through other ways and means. But let me tell you this, however much that the enemy tries to counterfeit what we have in power, God's power is far greater than him. Moses always had the upper hand. He always had the upper hand. He always did. Let's not forget that God, it's not our words. Sometimes we may pray to him, but ultimately his power, he has the ability to draw you out. He has the ability to help you out of your situation. He has, by his mighty hand, he can be the one who delivers you. Today I want to remind you, some people are probably thinking, I've been praying so much, I've had so much advice and counsel from different people, and I still have not had my breakthrough. Let me tell you, you can have advice and counsel all your life. It's fantastic. It is great. I talk to many people and I help people as much as I can. But listen to me. There's only God's ultimate power that will help you to get you to where he wants you to be. It's only his power. We're just men and women delivering his word. But it's his power. Some of us forget these though. In Numbers 23 verse 19, it says, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Listen, so many of us today, Jesus came, yes, as a man, but he was also God. Some of us today treat Jesus like he's a man, just like us. We treat Jesus like he's just flesh and bone. Listen, he was all flesh, all bone, but he was all God as well. He is a divine person, part of that trinity. God is not human that he will lie. When he says something, he can do it. Don't ever forget this. Do you know there are thousands of promises throughout the Bible? Some people say there's 3,000. Some people say there's 7,000. Some people have tried, tried to count this. I haven't. But some people have counted the amount of promises that are written in the Word of God. And some people disregard the Word of God like it's some archaic book. That it's some fairy tale. But do you realize that in there there are promises even Jesus referred to? Jesus knew that the word of God, even though he was God, was so important that he referred back to it. Like I just said to you in Luke 4, when he arrived, he said in the synagogue, he says, Today, I am now fulfilling the word that you read in Isaiah. So don't ever dismiss that the word of God is just some old story for the shelf. No, it's full of thousands and thousands of promises for you. And it is written there for you to read. Jesus came to make it alive to you so you can understand the promises. Listen, I used to, I've got a Bible in my, I've got quite a few different translations people have given to me over, over the years. I've got one that someone gave to me at Sunday school with stickers in saying, I follow Jesus on the back and little, you know, nice little stickers. And I've still got it from the, when I was a young boy, someone gave it to me. And, I, and I've kept it. I don't read that one. I've got other ones I read, but I've got this one because I just like to keep it because it's a memorable thing that someone gave me at Sunday school. Now listen, I've had Bibles through the years and I've looked at them when I was younger and I disregarded the Word of God. I put it on the shelf. It was just another book. Just to say, oh yeah, my family's Christians. I've got the book. But listen to me. I've come to realize only through the Spirit. Listen, everything always starts with the Spirit. Everything always begins with the Spirit. People say, no, I've read the Bible first, and then I found Jesus. No, the Spirit led you to find the Bible. 
The Spirit leads you to read and then the Spirit helps you to understand. But some people, and I meet them a lot, they try to read it with logic. They try to understand it. They try, and, and listen, they say there's errors here. There's things that I find here that's difficult to understand. There's, there's problems. Listen, do you know why? Because people, ma- men wrote the Bible. And women, these people wrote the Bible. There are grammatical errors. But listen, in the word of God, it says this, Timothy says that it's all God breathed. In other words, these people were inspired and led by the Holy Ghost to write what they wrote. I want to remind you today, there were all the promises, whether you want to sit down and count them and understand all the, 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 the terminology, they are for you. Apostle Paul said this, the promises written are yes in Christ. Second Corinthians one twenty. for no matter how many promises, for no, he didn't, you see, he didn't even count them, did he? For no matter how many promises there are, because I've heard my mates have been telling me there's thousands, but I'm not going to count them. All I know is this, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, the let, let this be, is spoken by us to the glory of God. The word of God is important. So, sometimes we dismiss it. We, we dismiss what God is saying. And listen, it is the power of God. The word of God is the power of God. I don't know about you. Sometimes Emma has to, when she goes out and does things every day, she writes little lists for me and things. And she says things that, Phil, can you remember to do this? And sometimes I don't like cluttering the house. So sometimes I see the lists and I just think, I scan read it. I look at it, think, I've got a rough idea of what she said, or she told me when she went out. And I screw these things up and chuck them in the bin. And there's several times when she said things to me. Then she's on the phone when she's away and said, did you remember to do that thing? And I'm thinking, I can't remember saying that. So I'm trying to find in the bin through all the tea bags and things like this, the list that she that, that, that I took to work, because I'm trying to find what she told me to do. So many of us are like this. We throw these things away. We disregard the word of God like it's not important. But God says, listen, I'm reminding you, get it back out of the bin. Have a read. See the promises that are written over your lives. So many of us are reaching that desperation point in our lives. Dials are, dials are flying all over the place. We've got no idea what's going next. We think we are plummeting to the ground. We're just waiting for impact. We're reaching that desperation point. Someone quoted this. They said, when life gets too hard to stand, kneel. When life gets too hard to stand, kneel. Some of us need to get on our knees and cry out to God. Say, God, I'm reading your word. I'm standing on your word. I believe you have the power to deliver. I'm standing on it, and I'm going to pray and spend time crying to you. I'm not going to try standing, trying to do this all by myself. Hallelujah. The word of God. Jesus became the word. In John chapter 1 it says this, that Jesus is the word, isn't he? He came and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, the message that's written in your Bibles about what Jesus did for you, it is the power of God unto salvation. For those today who don't know Jesus, for those today who are your lives, you're not saying I'm a Christian and and, and I'm finding difficulties in life. There's some people who do not know Jesus. Probably now in this room, there's people who don't know him. They don't understand who he is. They've got no clue over these promises. They've got no idea of what God said about them. That in Psalm 139, he designed you for the person you're designed to be. He knew you before you were even born. Before, not when you came into the world, he looked at you and said, oh, this is another one. Let me learn to understand you. No, before you were born, he knew you. Before you even became that existence, he knew exactly you. And I want to tell you today that the greatest thing that Jesus did is he came to this earth. He came from heaven. We sing a song, the darling of heaven was crucified. He came to this earth to 
die on a cross, to be brutally killed, nails driven into his hands, the crown of thorns upon his head, to be brutally killed for you and died for you. In Romans 1.16, Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is his words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes it. In other words, Jesus came. He is the word. And if we believe in him, he will be your true savior. His power will deliver you from sin. It will deliver you from where you're at. It will deliver you and it will put you in a new place. You will be standing in a new place, a new creature. Earlier on, we saw on Discipleship Explored, so many of us, sometimes we we understand, we hear this, but we need to learn how to live in that new way. When God He gives us our new standing in Him. I want to encourage you, if you want to understand what it is to walk the walk, not just talk the talk, then get on this course. There's no paperback book. No wisdom of man will deliver you from sin. You go into WH Smith today, you will find thousands, thousands of books that have how to do this, how to overcome, how to be this, how to do this. Do you know what? All these people are men who are writing things to try and help us to be delivered. But Jesus Christ, he came, he died on a cross for you and for me, and he is the power of God unto salvation to deliver us from sin. Amen. Only the blood of Jesus can set us free. Finally, number three, God will restore and reward. I'll move quickly on this to bring it to a close, but God will restore and reward. The Israelites in this story actually gained something after the slavery. I don't know if you saw this at the beginning, but when they went through their difficult patch, when they were going through this difficult season and they were being beaten, they were being asked to produce more bricks, they were asked to do more in quota in their time, they thought life was getting really tough. Moses rocks up, makes it harder. They're probably thinking, this saviour of ours is no saviour at all. He's not doing anything. He's making life worse. They probably thought, just stay clear of us. We'll do fine without you, Moses. We don't need you. But eventually... When they are delivered, this is what God said would happen. He said, Exodus 3, in the promise, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people. So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. In other words, what he was saying to him this, he says, when you leave, you're going to have these people who have been oppressing you are actually going to like you. And they're actually going to give you things in addition to what you already have. Let me tell you this, some people here today, they would ask a question this. They would say to me, why is it I'm going through this difficulty? Why is it I had a difficulty back in 2007, 2008, 2010, and and it rocked my world so much that I felt like giving up on God? Let me tell you, whatever you go through in this life, you will always carry something good out of it. They came out with silver and gold and clothes for the children, it said. They they left Egypt, they didn't just get set free, but they walked out and it says that the people favorably disposed towards them and they gave them things. Listen to me, whatever you're going through, you will look back in the future and say, I know and understand there was a reason for this difficulty. There was a reason for this challenge because God gave you something out of it. And let me tell you today, there may be somebody in here who said, I've lost something. I lost something dear to me. I've lost something so precious to me. I I went through a time when I couldn't understand why God wouldn't give me the things I wanted and I cannot understand it. And then you lost it. And then God years later says, now you can help the person next to you who now needs prayer and guidance and help in this situation because you understand you have the gold you have the silver you have the clothes to help them because i gave you more when you left listen there's always a reason for our difficulties we said it we say it many times here but jesus came into this world he said there's trouble in this world but take heart i've overcome it in other words listen you're gonna get it 
There's big things coming. If you ain't got something big now, I'm always waiting for it. Listen, I'm not, I'm not a Christian who believes that my life's going to be on Kidori. I'm thinking something's going to come and I need to be ready. I need to be ready. The Bible tells us it talks about Christians of two different people who are building their house on sand, on, on good foundations. When the storm comes, boy, oh boy, you better be ready. I'll tell you what, this day and age that I see with the things that are going on every time, I say it all the time on the news, I turned it on yesterday looking at the barbaric things that are happening, there is a time coming, I'm telling you now, where you will really, that you'll separate who really believe in Jesus. People start to say now, who's Christians? Listen, there's so much going on in this world at the moment, I look at it and I think there's going to be a time coming in this, in our land, when you will have to stand up for your faith. Let me tell you, build your house on good foundations. Because the time is coming. The time is coming. Whatever difficulties, but listen, he will always help us. He will always, there will always be a reason. When Stephen went through the difficulty and he was stoned in Acts chapter 7, and he was stoned and it says he saw heaven as these people persecuted him. They threw stones at him. Every time the stones hit him in the face, every time they beat him down and they persecuted him. Listen to me. Do you know what good come from that? You say, well, what good come from that? He died. Listen, you read it in Acts. In Acts chapter 7, it's there to tell you that when persecution comes, you better get ready because Jesus is with you. He died so that you can have a message in Acts chapter 7, 2,000 years later. There it is. There's the good. Unfortunately, Stephen didn't see it. He's in heaven probably now and he's saying, I'm so glad I went through that so that people can understand when things get worse in the future that Acts chapter 7 is there to help them. That's my gold. That's my silver. That's my clothes that I got when I left my difficulty. I want to encourage you today, nothing that you will face will ever be a waste. Never. Romans eight twenty-eight. Paul said, and we know that all things work together for the good, for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Jesus always wants to restore us and reward us. He wants to restore us and reward us. Listen, he has the power to do it, to give you a new life in Christ, to give you a new standing. He has the power to do this, but listen to me. Have you ever read the story of the prodigal son? When the prodigal son's gone off and left and took his inheritance, blown it all away, ends up sitting with the pigs. Yeah, it's, I know it's in the Sunday school stories, but it's true. When he does this, it's there for a reason. Again, that story's there for a reason, for us to read, to understand this. That when he comes back, the prodigal son comes running back. He says the father is waiting for him to return. He's waiting. Listen to me. Jesus is waiting for his children to come back to him. He didn't die on a cross and waste, and he didn't pay the price, the sacrifice and the pain he went through. He did it for a benefit, and that's to save the sinner. He did the same for you. He went through pain and suffering. But listen to this, when the prodigal son returns, he didn't just say, yes, son, I'm sorry you took your inheritance and you blew it all away. Come and come inside, we'll... You know, you can come and live back in the house again. I'll not even charge you any board. No, he didn't say that. He said this, come in, I'll give you the best robe, put a ring on your finger, kill the fattened calf, let's have a party. That's what he did. The brother, the other brother got a bit wound up because of the amount of extra things he was giving back on him. He'd just blown his inheritance. But he came back and the father gave him more than he had before. He was prepared to kill the fattened calf. Listen to me. He, if you will come to him and give your life to Jesus Christ, he will not just give you uh, a nice uh, kind of updated version of you. You know, version 2.0. No. He will default. He will, he will do what in you, what he designed in you in Psalm 139. It will do in you what he designed from the very beginning for your purpose. When Esther was called for such a time as this, she was called because God defines people, he selects people, he loves people, and he died for you. He gives you more. He restores and rewards. Jesus restores. He'll make you stronger. He'll give the ability to be more firm and steadfast. I'm so glad 
that when I became a Christian, I gave my life to Jesus. He didn't just give me a better version, a little, you know, updated version. Do you know what he did for me? And I'm so glad he did it. He reset me. He reset me. He put a new operating system inside of me. Boy, oh boy. It felt like getting the Mac operating system when you've had a PC. You only understand that if you're a Mac user. Listen, he changed me. He did something new inside of me. Do you know what? I used to think my life was the, the way I was living it. If, you, if some of you people knew the things I used to do, at some points in my life, I used to go into my bedroom on a night, my mum and dad would be downstairs and my sister, and I'd come in high on drugs. I used to sit in my bedroom crying. I used to be weeping. And the enemy used to say things like this to me in my lowest times. The dials would be telling me this, that you're the black sheep of the family. You're the one who's out of all this. You're the one who's not accepted. And there were lies of the enemy. There were lies. And one day I found Jesus. And his word told me something very, very different to what the enemy kept telling me over years. No matter what I did, he said, I love you. I died for you, son. You're mine. The Bible says this, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Did you hear that? For the joy set before him, that is Jesus. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. In other words, he wanted to go for you. He saw every single person, including me and you. And he was willing to let all of the, the suffering, the pain come upon him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, he was bruised, he was wounded. He did it all for you. If you say, oh, I'm going to disregard the word of God, listen, Isaiah prophesied about him coming. He said he would be marred beyond human description for you. He said you wouldn't even tell it was Jesus when you looked at him, the way they brutally hurt him. This is what he did for every single one of us, the sinner. This is what he did for you today. And do you know what? He bought the powers to deliver you from sin and from your troubles, whatever they are, and give you a new place and a firm place to stand. Let's stand, everyone. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.